Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Amen. Welcome to you watching online. Good to have you with us. Hey, I'm going to talk today. I, I preached a message like this maybe like four years ago. and uh, But since we're in our Truth Bomb series, I kind of wanted to bring part of it back. And um, 2017, we went to Israel for the first time, I believe it was. And then I went again with my son and with my wife in 2017, then with my son in 2019. And it was just, it was just awesome. We basically, you're, you're experiencing the Bible in like HD, you know, high definition. And uh, you're going to all these significant places. We went to Mount Carmel where Elijah called down fire on 850, uh, you know, uh, prophets of Baal and Asherah. And we went to uh, Capernaum where Jesus performed all these miracles and hung out with his disciples. And you're walking in this, in this um in this little city, and it's just incredible, all the different stories in the synagogue and all these different places. Um, you're, you're actually walking where Jesus was. We s- sat on the steps where Jesus was first introduced after his birth at the age of 12. Remember when his parents lost him? They lost the Messiah. They lost the Savior of the world for three days, and then he was resurrected three days later when they found him. And uh, he was on the steps. We're sitting there, and that's where he was, like, asking questions to all these uh, leaders and, and, you know, priests and um, learning about the word. We cruised on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus walked on water and uh, calmed the storm. And, and I couldn't find the picture. I think my iCloud ran out or something. But uh, there's a photo that I took because when I went to the Sea of Galilee, I'm like, Jesus, I just want to see like a vision. I want to see like something of you walking on water or like let me walk on water or something. And, uh, and so I took this photo. It was just like of the sunset. And then when I got home, I was just, because um, I'm 48, whatever, I was 45. I'm like, you know, making the pictures bigger. And as I made it bigger, you literally see uh, what looks like a person walking on the water. And it was like, Jesus was just like, I got you, man. You know, like, I love you. And I was like, thank you. That's pretty cool. I'll get the photo. Um, I don't know how to get it, but maybe I'll talk to Pastor Andre or something. Uh, we went to Mount Masada where King Herod had a, had a palace, like literally on the side of this massive cliff. It was unbelievable. And uh, uh, up there, there's a cave where they found Ezekiel 37, which is mind-blowing. It's the, it's, the, um, it's the chapter where they talk about, you know, dry bones coming to life and, and all that. It's crazy. We went to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was literally sweating blood, asking God, if, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, your will. And then he goes to the cross. And um, uh, that was when, that was on a Thursday. And then the next day was Good Friday when he, you know, went to the cross. And we saw the rock that they said he touched and perhaps even bled on. Um, olive trees that would have been there when Jesus was there, because olive trees can live thousands of years. It's pretty wild to think that Jesus walked by these, these trees. And um, in those days, uh, Gethsemane means olive press. And in those days, they would have these big rock slabs and they would crush the olives and it would produce the oil. And, uh, and it was just a picture of Jesus um, taking on the weight of the sin of the world on him and he's sweating, you know, blood in the garden. It's just crazy when you're there thinking about what had happened there. We went to the empty tomb that is still empty. 
just in case you're wondering, still empty, where Jesus was for three days and got up, making Christianity the only religion with a God who is alive and well and powerful today. Um, we found out that uh, he was buried in a vineyard, a winery. We saw the ancient wine press, and they would have made, uh, right outside his tomb, actually, where they would have made wine and, and uh, a vineyard, and I know that messes some people up already. Um, <laughs> that are in church, but uh, wine in the Bible is celebration, it's communion, it's fellowship, it's, it's newness of life. It's, the Bible says you can't put new wine in old wineskins, and so God wants to do a new thing, but we got to change the wineskins sometimes in, in, our, in our life. And so, and wine is actually a resurrected version of a dead grape. Just an observation. A better version of a dead grape, by the way. Jesus wasn't put in a dreary, dark place. He was put in a tomb in a vineyard, dead, and then was resurrected with new life. Um, he came on the scene as a winemaker. Jesus came on the scene in his ministry as a winemaker when he turned all the, the water into wine in the, in the, at the wedding party. And uh, his ministry was born with him turning water into wine, and then he was born again with new life in a vineyard. There's just all these cool things that happen when you're, when you're there. Um, the interesting part about the whole trip, though, was this, our guide, his name was Shraga. And if you went recently, you would have met Shraga. He's, a, he's an older dude. He's been doing tours for forever, knows everything about uh, Israel, knows everything, literally knows the Bible better than almost anybody um, probably that was, that was there. Uh, maybe Pastor Jurgen, maybe Pastor Quacha, Ra, maybe you guys give him a run for his money, but dude knows the Bible backwards and forwards. He would be telling you about these significant events. He would know who was there. He would read the scriptures around who was there. He would talk about it like he was there. He knew everything about the Bible, but what was interesting is he didn't mean anything to him. The New Testament scriptures meant nothing to Shraga um, because he, he's, he's a Jew, and he would read the scriptures and tell the stories, um, and I'm sure he thought that, like, he liked us, but I'm sure he thought we were kind of foolish for believing all this stuff because he doesn't believe it, and he thinks that the Messiah has yet to come. That's what the Jews are still waiting for, a Messiah, and so it didn't mean anything to him because he didn't believe it. Sometimes you need more than the word. You need to believe the word. So you can say the word, but you don't believe the word doesn't have any power. And so the word is not enough sometimes. And the Bible actually says that if we don't know Jesus, that this is, is foolishness to us. And so you talk to people and you're like, how are they not getting this because they don't know Jesus? There's, there's, there's no connection. There's a separation there. So the Bible is foolishness to them. Um, but there were a few times where Pastor Jurgen would come and he would read stories and talk about uh, the revelation around like the feeding of the 5,000 or the Beatitudes or certain miracles or, or whatever, fish, you know, jumping into the nets and all that kind of stuff. And he would be talking about certain things about Jesus and, and Shraga would begin to cry. And it was almost like his spirit was connecting with the word, but there was a veil in front of his eyes and in front of his heart. And so he wasn't quite there, but his spirit was recognizing the word of God. And so um, what's happened is that the Jews have so elevated religion and so elevated tradition that they're blinded. They don't realize that Jesus came and tore the veil that separated us from him from top to bottom. So now everybody has access to him and the power of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, but they're waiting for this warrior, soldier, military type person, savior to come and to defeat all of their enemies. And so they're looking for a soldier. So they missed their savior who came as a servant. So they missed it. 
he was right there in front of them and he's still right there in front of them. And, and they've read, he's read the 300 prophecies about Jesus, 400 different characteristics, 30 of them just about his birth, yet he can't see. And he read all those in the Old Testament and yet it was right there and he still can't see it because they have made their religion their master and they've missed the Messiah. And he's right in front of them. They're still servants of the law trying to conform from the outside. I mean, you watch them and the way they dress and the way they pray and the way they do this, the wailing wall and all the different rituals that they do trying to, trying to be good enough for God, trying to be accepted by God while we're all here who've accepted Jesus living as sons and daughters of Christ empowered to do the ministry of recognition reconciliation right here and right now, motivated by grace. We're free from the confines of the law, but we're not free to sin. We're free to be righteous. We don't take grace as a license to go sin. We take grace as a motivation to do right. And that's how we live as Christians. Jesus was not a rule maker. He was a boundary builder. And he built these boundaries. He says, within these boundaries, do whatever you want. Just treat other people like you want to be treated. Love other people like I loved you. And he said, do all these things within these boundaries and you should be fine, but we're not bound by, by law. The Bible says the law was put in place so that we could see what sin was and realize that we couldn't be righteous without Jesus. So many people in many different religions are in bondage because they can't see. And their, their, their heart has a veil on it. And so they're doing, 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 trying to be accepted by God. They're Facing this way, praying this way, praying this many times, wearing these clothes, uh, looking like this, desperately seeking and trying to please their God while they are bound in religion. I remember when I was, uh, uh, one of my best friends in high school was this Mexican dude, and he was, uh, in, the me in the Mexican culture, C Catholicism is big. And so he was Catholic, even though he didn't really do anything Catholic, but he was Catholic because that's how he grew up, tradition. And so he went to this. I, I used to invite him to church, and he came a couple times. I invited him to emerge, but he didn't come, Pastor Charles. But for some reason, for some reason, he went to his friend's Catholic men's conference. And so he told me about that. I'm like, cool, man. Hey, if you're, if you're seeking God, seek God. You know, he'll, he'll, uh, he'll reveal himself to you at some point. So anyways, he goes to this, this conference, and he comes back, and he's telling me about this conference. And I'm kind of excited to hear, did he have an encounter with God? And he comes back, and he says, like, they did some games, they did some services, and, and he said it all kind of built up to this big confession time where, you know, in Catholicism, you go to the, the priest behind the screen or whatever, and you confess all your sins, and the priest forgives you because he's got, you know, he's the mediator between God or whatever. And so he, he goes up to the, to the priest to confess and the priest starts asking him questions. My friend was married at the time. His, his wife wasn't Catholic. They didn't get married in the Catholic church. And so the priest is asking him these questions. He's saying, no, we didn't get married in the Catholic church. She's not Catholic. My kids haven't been baptized or whatever. Um, he didn't check all the different Catholic boxes. And so the priest told him that he could not confess his sins. And my boy had a lot of sins. So he goes up to this priest, and the priest says, because you didn't check all the religious, traditional boxes, you cannot be forgiven. Therefore, you are still bound by the law, and sin has dominion over you, is basically what he was saying. And so my friend is like, oh my gosh, like I got to live with my sin for the rest of my life because I didn't do things the right way. My friends, that is not 
grace. That is religion. That is not Jesus. That is tradition. And God, God, God actually came to Jesus before Jesus did anything, and he said, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. And that's how God looks at us. That's how I look at my sons. When my sons were born, I'm like, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. And my love for my sons has not grown less. It's grown more, and they've sinned more. They didn't really sin when they first came out of the, of the womb, but they've sinned a lot, and I still love them more and more and more because they are my son. And that is how God looks at you, and that's how God looks at me. The word religious, one of the meanings of religious is a person bound by monastic vows. We are not bound, but you and I are free. Jesus came to set you free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You are not bound by religion and tradition. The title of this message is Free Religion. The reason I titled it Free Religion is because I like one word titles, mostly. And we are free from religion, but not totally free from religion. So I kept it together, free religion, because there are some ideas about religion that I think are good. And we can swing too far the other way. So free religion is, is, the, is the title. Mark 7, 5 to 9 says this. When the Pharisees, then the Pharisees and scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? But they eat bread with unwashed hands. He answered and said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Come on, Jesus was not religious. He's calling these people hypocrites right to their face. He was tough. As it is written, he was savage. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold tr the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, all too well, you reject the commandment of God. And you may keep your, that you may keep your tradition. Verse 13, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down and many such things you do. So Jesus is basically saying that you guys act all religious, you act all proper, but you've denied the commandment of God and you've taken on the tradition of men. Mark 8, 31 says, And Jesus began to teach them the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, all the religious people, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Jesus is the word of God, and religion killed the word of God. Religion will kill the word of God in your life. It will reduce it to just doctrines and words and traditions and rituals, and it will have no power in your life. There's a verse in Timothy that says that people continue in their knowledge, but they deny its power. They just see this as words, but they deny the power of God, and they, and, they, and they bow to the tradition of men, making idols and making gods of tradition and of religion. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 says, who also made us sufficient ministers of the new covenant, say new covenant, new covenant. not of the letter of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. We are not a religious church because Jesus is not a religious God. And so we will teach you about Christianity as a religion, as a way to think, but we are not going to bind you in the way you think. We've been called a cult 
because we tell people how to live, but we don't make you live anyway. You can live however you want. We're just going to tell you how Jesus wants you to live because it's the best way to live, but you can do what you want. You can train wreck your life if you want, really. You're right. So tradition is not all bad. Religion is not all bad. Tradition, I think, actually is very honoring at times. And, and I know that, like, I like the fact that we dress up on Easter Sunday. I think that's honoring to God. It's like one day where uh, we come to the, to the church on a Sunday and we, we dress up in our best. There's always people in suits and everything. And even though we're, you know, the church these days is more lax and whatever, it's kind of, I, I think it's kind of cool. And I think it's honoring that we honor God, that we dress up because this is the house of God. If you didn't wear a suit, I wouldn't condemn you or judge you. I don't care. I'm just, I just think it's cool. I think it's honoring to God. There's certain different things that we do at Christmas and, and that sort of thing. But I think tradition has to be flexible or it becomes constraining and brings death, not life. So one of the things that we do in our family on Thanksgiving is we go to my parents' house, my sisters come, my nieces and nephews come, my kids, and we have, you know, turkey dinner and football's on and two or three o'clock in the afternoon, and then we play games or we go bowling, like every single Thanksgiving. I like that. I think it's, I think it's good. I think it's honoring to my parents who, you know, um, have given birth to all of us and, and, and whatever, and I, and I, and I love it. Um, but there was, in 2020, um, anybody remember 2020? Yeah. Uh, in 2020, I was like, man, we got to get out of California. So we were like, I told my parents, and I didn't want to be that guy. You know, you don't want to be that guy, that kid that's like, hey, we're not going to come over for Thanksgiving or whatever. And, uh, but I said, hey, we got to get out. And Thanksgiving was the only time we could go. So we went to Florida um, during Thanksgiving. And what I love about my parents is I said, okay, great, we'll just celebrate when you get back. And so when we got back on a Saturday or a Sunday, whatever it was, we celebrated then. What I appreciate about my parents and the traditions that we hold is they're flexible because life changes, people change, people get married, kids have sports, whatever. But, but, but if they would have said, you can't go or you're going to dishonor the family, that's death, that's not life. And it's and it's not it's it's not right. But but tradition and religion can be very very good. But it's amazing how people get so caught up in little things, and they make these religious statements or religious laws or religious rules or traditional laws that just bring bring death. It's like it's like morally neutral things that they make a big deal out of. Um, like this scripture is brilliant in Romans 14, 1 to three. It says, "Except the ones whose faith is weak." without quarreling over disputable matters, over morally neutral things. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Look, I'm not saying your faith is weak if you only eat vegetables, but the Bible is, okay? I'm just saying, I'm just saying, just saying. Just kidding, you can eat vegetables if you want. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Verse 23, but whatever has, whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, if you have doubts, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. And so it's saying, it's saying that just because you don't have the faith to eat for whatever reason, it's okay, I'm not gonna judge you, but just make sure you're doing it in faith. If you don't have the faith to eat steak, don't judge me. 
I'm not going to judge you because, because you eat broccoli, so don't judge me if I eat steak. It's, it's a morally neutral thing that people get caught up in all kinds of religious stuff, and it divides people and creates dissension. And, and Jesus is basically saying, don't sweat the small stuff. Romans 6.12, Paul is saying, all things are lawful for me or allowable for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of anything. And so what he's saying is within these boundaries that Jesus has built, all things are allowable for me, but not all things are healthy. I can, in other words, I'm under grace. I can do what I want, but it may not be helpful. Like caffeine for some people is not helpful. Um, too much caffeine is probably not helpful for anybody. Um, like Mormons can't drink caffeine or have caffeine because it's against their religion. But Paul is saying like all things are allowable, not all things are helpful, and I will not come under the power of anything. I think it was the beginning of this year, I quit coffee for the first time in probably like 15 years. And uh, the only reason I did it was because of this scripture. It's allowable for me, but I am not coming under the power of any substance, of anything in this life. Sometimes you got to remind your flesh that your spirit is in charge. That's why you fast. That's why you deny your flesh of things to remind yourself that your spirit's in charge of this stuff. I can remember uh, a, a couple left our church early on because they saw that pastors had wine at restaurants. Because they said that it caused them to stumble. And so there's scriptures in the Bible that say don't cause your brother to stumble or whatever. But if I'm having a glass of wine with my wife at a restaurant and you walk by and see me and that causes you to stumble, then you're the problem, not me. If I invite you over to my house and I know you have problems with alcohol or whatever and I try to serve you wine and I cause you to stumble, then that's on me. But if you're just walking by and I'm minding my own business, I'm not trying to, to cause you to stumble, don't put that on me, Miss or Mr. Religious Person. Because I will not take that. I will not take that. Do everything unto the Lord. Jesus didn't, didn't ask us to do a lot of things like ceremonially or traditionally or religiously. One thing he did ask us to do was to remember him in communion. He said, remember me when you come in and have bread and you have the wine. Remember what I did for you. And so we, we do that. We do that as a church. But even communion can get religious. If you're just doing it, if you've ever been to a, 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 I'm not talking trash about Catholicism, but I've been to the churches and there's no, there's no explanation. There's no power in communion. It's just a ritual that they do. When we do communion, not that we have it all figured out, but we do have people come up and share around communion because we don't want it to be religious. We don't want it to just be traditional. We want it to have power. We want it to change your life. When you remember what Jesus did at the whipping post and what he did at the cross, his back and his blood was sufficient for you to be healed and saved and set free. We want you to do that. We don't want you to give tithes and offerings religiously or traditionally. We want you to give with faith. That's why we have people up here that tell you testimonies about faith. When they give, this happened. When they give, the door shut in the morning and it opened in the afternoon, like Brittany said. Give with faith. That's why we remind you, because it can get religious. And then it loses its power. We want your life to be filled with power. Um, there, was a, there was this couple that uh, my wife and I were trying to counsel, and they were, she was uh, a Christian, he was a Muslim. They came to our church, they had kids, and they were obviously fighting. <laughs> and um, 
the reason he was Muslim isn't because he believed in everything that they believed in. The reason he was Muslim is because his family has been Muslim forever. And so he was bound to this tradition of his, fa- of his parents, even though it was ruining his marriage. And so we looked at them across the table, and there was, because he was Muslim, there were spirits that were introduced into his, into his house, and there was all this weird stuff happening, and they knew why it was happening. And so I looked him in the face across from my table, and, I, and his wife was right next to him, and I said, are you, you're willing to ruin your marriage, lose your wife, lose your kids, because you won't come against the traditions of your family? And he said, yes. The Muslim grip on his life was so tight that he would not deny his parents' faith in his life. So guess what happened? They lost their marriage. I looked up Jewish to see if it was a religion or a culture or a person, and it's both. It said it's both. It's so ingrained, this religious thing is so ingrained that it's, it's become a people, uh, not just a religion, but a people. And it's the same with, like, the Muslim faith. It's like you cannot deny it because it's, it's more important to you to keep the traditions. I've heard people say, if I, if I come out of Judea, Judaism, then my parents would crawl in their graves. They know what the, perhaps the right thing to do is, but they won't deny the tradition and the religion. Colossians 3.3 says, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So if you are under the law, that means sin has dominion over you. If you are under grace, that means you have dominion over grace, over sin. And so this is saying that when you've died with Christ and you've come alive together with him, you are hidden in him. That means the devil does not have access to you. But when you start to operate in law and condemnation and shame and guilt, you come out from underneath that covering and now you're vulnerable to the devil that walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's why it's important to stay under grace and not under law because under law, sin has dominion over you. But under grace, you have dominion over sin in Christ Jesus. So you got to stay away from that religion and that tradition because it's law and it brings about death. But where the spirit of the Lord is, there is life. And so I am, uh, that, that scripture in Colossians says, we are dead to sin. We are dead to sin. When you are dead, the devil can't tempt you because you're dead. Devil can't go up to a person in a coffin and be like, and try to tempt him with a joint. Take this joint. He's dead. He's dead. Dead people can't look at pornographic pictures. Dead people can't drink alcohol. Dead people can't be addicted to things. Dead people can't be peer pressured. Dead people can't smoke joints. Dead people can't be depressed. Dead people can't be suicidal because they're dead. They're dead. If you're dead, what happened to you in the past can't affect the new person because that person is dead. So the devil can't make you feel guilty or shameful You're not fearful or anxious. That's not you. That maybe used to be you, but that person is now dead, and you've come alive together with Christ under his grace and under his power. That person is dead. 
I was praying for somebody the other day and I was declaring who he is now, telling him that that old person is dead. For him to step into the new man, the Bible says, where you are a new person. When you come into the kingdom of God, behold, all things become new. Those old things are dead. Some of you need to hear that today. You've been operating in religion. That is dead. You've come alive together with Christ. Jesus is so unreligious. It's hilarious when you read, when you read the Bible. He wasn't even bound to his own schedule. All, most of his miracles were disruptions. So he was on his, in his religious you know, uh, goals, but he would be disrupted by like blind Bartimaeus who's screaming out, Jesus, son of David. Come heal me. And so Jesus would stop and he would go because, because he, would, he was flexible enough to even within his assignment get out of his religious way that, that he was doing things. There's a story in, in Mark that says how Jesus took a mute and deaf person, put fingers in his ears that he had spat on, and then the guy started to speak and to hear again. That doesn't sound very like a religious ritual to me. I think Jesus purposely did things that were non-religious so that we couldn't predict the way things were done so that we couldn't build formulas that wouldn't work. We, we build formulas and make laws and put ceilings and limits on our life that Jesus never did. I think that's why he did things so, so crazy. Some people that he, prayed, that he healed, he prayed for and laid hands on. Some people he just prayed for and didn't even touch. And some people he touched and didn't even pray. He touched the lepers and healed him, and you weren't supposed to touch lepers because they were considered unclean, but Jesus disrupted religion everywhere he went. He healed in the synagogue on the Sabbath over and over and over again, and that was like blowing the minds of the Jewish people because you couldn't work on the Sabbath. And so he would purposely do it on the Sabbath, uh, declaring that, this, that he is Lord of the Sabbath and that the Sabbath was created for us, not us for the Sabbath. And so he would go into synagogues on the Sabbath and, uh, and heal people. He would ask them, do you think I should heal people? And they would say, not on the Sabbath, you can't work. And he would heal people. <laughs> the Sabbath is so inconvenient if you've ever been to Israel. You can't even like press the buttons on the, on the elevators because that's working. I mean, it's wild. It's wild what religion, where religion can take you. Um, he made mud and gave someone vision from mud. He touched a casket, and the power of God went through the casket into the, into the boy, and the boy was resurrected during a funeral. He ruined a funeral. <laughs> he walked on water just because he could. He, when he was raised from the dead, if you heard my message uh, a couple Wednesdays ago about the ephod, when he was raised from the dead, he walked through the stone, I believe, and uh, the stone wasn't rolled away. He walked through the stone, and then he appears with his disciples. The Bible says he appeared in their midst. He didn't go through the door. He just appeared. He just, like, walked through the wall because he can, because he's not religious. He does crazy stuff because he's awesome. Jesus doesn't want us to be bound to formulas. Bound to the way it's always been done. But we make rules for ourselves and laws of how things need to be done just because maybe it worked at some point. And so now we think it always has to be like this. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he also says, behold, I do a new thing. So he does things in different ways. The methods sometimes change. When I was, um, uh, you know, I grew up playing baseball, as most of you would know. And 
baseball players are very, very superstitious. If you've ever known a, a baseball player specifically, they do weird stuff. Like, like they eat the same chicken every single day before they eat at the same time, or before they play at the same time, or they wear the same underwear, you know, every single day, which is gross. They wear the same socks. They do the same routines in the on-deck circle and in the batter's box. They step out and come in. They readjust their gloves. They take so many practice swings. They do all of these weird things thinking that if they do everything perfectly, they're going to have a good game. But then what happens if... You don't have chicken one day. What do you do with yourself? What do you do with yourself? I used to do all kinds of weird stuff. I would only eat like three different things during the week. And, but then you go 0 for 4 and you're like, well, that didn't work anyways. You know, so then you try something else the next day and you just, it's just a, it's just this constant, constant wheel. But we get stuck in formulas um, that God doesn't want us to get stuck in. Maybe you've prayed for somebody and anointed them with oil and they got healed and that's awesome. But don't make a law that you have to anoint everybody with oil that you pray for, for them to get healed. What if you don't have oil? Would you be like, oh, I can't, I can't pray for you. Even though it says in Mark 16, those who believe, not that don't not those that have oil, those that believe they can lay hands on the sick and see them recover. So just because you don't have oil, oil's great. Let's see if it smells good, like lavender or something like that. And if you believe in oil and that that makes somebody get healed and it works, do it as much as you can. I'm not saying that you can't have a formula that you like that fits within the personality that you have that works. If you've ever watched any minister minister, they have things that they do probably all the time, the ways they pray or whatever, because it works for them and they've, and they've gained confidence in that. I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm just saying don't make rules or laws. If you've seen breakthrough doing communion, that's amazing. But that's not the only way you can get breakthrough. What if you don't have any bread? What if you don't have any juice or wine? and you need breakthrough. You can still take authority over any situation, no matter where you are, with or without bread and wine. But if you have communion, if you have the ability, do it. We did it the other night, because my daughter had a temperature of like 103 point something. We literally did communion, prayed for her. Her, her, her temperature dropped just like that to like 101, and then the next, and then she, she went to bed, woke up and she was fine. So, so I'm not saying don't do communion, Sometimes we need something physical to put our faith to because we can't see God. We can't see the Holy Spirit. So sometimes something physical helps us believe. Whatever helps you believe because the key is those who believe. Those who believe. But don't make a rule about it. If you think you have to fast to get something from God, you are missing the point. If all I had to do was fast to get something from God, that would put me into works and out of grace. Did you know Jesus only fasted once every 33 years? I fast all the time. I'm not saying don't fast. It works. But, 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 but when you fast, don't make it a religious thing. If God is, I don't fast unless I feel like God on it. I'm not going to deprive myself of steak for nothing. Unless God is there. <laughs> There are, there are really no formulas, but, but some formulas and some religious things have power. There's, there, is power. there is power in the process, but Jesus is not bound by the law. He's over the law because he created the law. 
And so that makes you and I over the law. We're not bound by, by the law. But there's something powerful in formulas at times. There's something powerful when we do communion in a formula, in a process. There's something powerful when, when you pray a certain way, um, like Jesus taught us to pray in a certain way, not to use a certain words, but a certain way. And so there's ways that you can, you can um, that fit your personality, that work for you, that you can do. And there's power, there's power in that. But I don't, we're free, but we're not free from religious ideas. Christianity allows us to have a set of ideas and belief systems that line up with the Bible that help us. So I don't want to throw out that we, we aren't, we don't, succumb to religion. That's why I, I named it free religion because we're still connected. I don't want you to just throw away religion or throw away tradition, but know that, but know that we are people that are free. And sometimes people that are free swing to the other side and they're free to sin and free to do whatever they want because Jesus will forgive us because we're under grace. And that's the wrong way to think. It's the wrong way to think. We have to live a life that is motivated by grace to be holy and to be righteous. The Bible says that blessed are those that are pure in heart for they shall see God. I wanna see God. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit landed on Jesus and remained on him because he's holy. And the Holy Spirit lands on people that are holy. The power of God won't stick if you're unholy doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It just means you have to understand that we're on a journey to try to be righteous, like at least make an effort. <laughs> if you wanna carry po the power of Jesus, it's very precious. You gotta, you gotta live a life that is, that is worthy of the call, the Bible says. We gotta, we gotta live a life. Living a devoted, a devoted life to Christ should be our, should be our mission. Um, there has to be a response to what Jesus did for us. He died on the cross for us. We, we should respond in a way that is, that is seeking him, seeking to have a relationship with him, seeking to be devoted to him. We should have a disciplined life. We should come to church. It's his house. We should read our Bibles. We should worship. We should pray. But we shouldn't condemn ourselves if we miss a day or a week. Confession time. I'm like a month and a half behind on my yearly Bible reading. Thank God I'm under grace. So don't condemn yourself. I used to condemn myself. I used to not want to pray for somebody if I didn't read my Bible that morning because I didn't feel like God was going to use me because I was out of, doesn't even make sense. You're under grace. God cares about that person more than he cares about if you read the Bible or not. He wants that person to get healed whether you read your Bible or not. He wants that person to be blessed, that person to be encouraged, that person to be loved. Don't make it all about your little religious rituals. And you can't use the excuse, well, I'm just human, so I just make, you're not just human. You're human filled with the Holy Ghost. You're human filled with God. You can't excuse away your behavior because I'm just human. Even Paul says in Romans that, you know, he was a wretched man and he tried to do the right things, but, but he was overcome by the wrong things and he couldn't do the right things and he kept doing the wrong things. He's talking about a pre-salvation Paul. Not a new covenant Christian like you, because that would put him under the power of sin. We have dominion over sin. Oh, but my, my heart is desperately wicked. Who can tame it? Your heart used to be. Jeremiah said that in the Old Testament. I'm a new covenant Christian. My heart's not desperately wicked. 
When you come, all things have become new and the Spirit of God has come to live in my heart. My heart is not desperately wicked, but yours might be if that's what you say it is, because it is as you say, but mine's not. I'm not being religious, I'm under grace. All things have become new in me. But we become dangerous people if we move away from a life of, of devotion and just fully into this grace gospel that everything's, everything's okay. We should have a passion for God. That's why I talk about the drop zone. The drop zone is a place where you can go to connect with God. It's a place Jesus often withdrew to connect with God, and he was Jesus. So, so we need a place. It's not about where your place is. It's just about having a place. It's about setting aside time. It's about having a life of devotion towards Christ so that we can stay on track and start to try to live a righteous life, a holy life, so that the power of God will stick on us and empower us to live like sons and daughters of God. One of my favorite examples of this in the Bible is Samson. I know I've shared this many times, and Samson had a, he was a Nazarite, and he was a, he was a devoted Nazarite, and to be a Nazarite, you had to stay away from wine, dead people, and couldn't cut your hair, or dead things, and couldn't cut your hair. And so he drank wine and was around dead things, so he lost part of his devotion, but he still had his hair. He still had part of his devotion, but he kept flirting with the world. He kept thinking he was under grace because he still had power. He lost part of his devotion, but he still had power. He was still killing people, and he was still strong. He'd still break ropes. But when you continually flirt with the world, eventually bad company corrupts good character, and you will go down. So he's flirting with the world, and he gets into bed with the world. Delilah, she manipulates him and finally tells him where his power is. It's in his devotion. So she tells the Philistines, they come and cut his hair, and he loses his power. And then he loses his vision. And then he loses his life. Because he lost his devotion. We should be people that live a life of devotion, not because we have to, but because we want to, because of what Jesus did for us. Amen? Amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise this, afternoon, this evening. Morning, whatever we, wherever we are. Why don't we all stand to our feet? I want to pray for a couple of people. If you're, if you're here today and maybe, maybe you've been kind of living a religious life. Maybe you've been coming to church, but you've never like stepped into that relationship with him. Maybe you've been feeling condemned and guilty and shameful. And you didn't know you could have a relationship with Christ. You didn't know you could be under grace. Or maybe you've never invited Jesus into your life. Maybe you've never said, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. I want to follow you. Maybe you've never done that. I want to give you that opportunity. If everyone could just close their eyes while you, while you stand there. Just close your eyes. I want to ask you that question. If you're here and you've never invited Jesus into your life, or you're here and you once invited Jesus into your life, but you've kind of been doing this whole religious thing and it's not really working and you want to step into that relationship with him, if you're one of those two people, just lift your hand where you are today. I want to pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you over here. God bless you over here. Thank you. God bless you back there. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? Back over here to my left. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Is there anybody else? We got to end the service. Over here to my right. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Okay, everybody look at me real quick. 
real quick, there was maybe seven or eight of you that lifted your hand, and I would love to pray for you personally this morning. So I'm gonna ask you to do something kind of brave. Uh, it's not a religious thing, it's an act of faith. I wanna ask you to get out of your seat and come down to the front so that I can pray for you personally. And I promise you, all the people in your row will get out of your way and cheer you on as you come. So if you lifted your hand, could you come down to the front? I'd love to pray for you this morning. Come on, heaven is celebrating. Awesome is that? Look at you guys stepping out in faith like this. I'm so proud of all of you. I'm so proud of all of you. So what I want to do is say a prayer, and I want you guys to repeat after me. We're just going to invite Jesus into our life, and literally everything can change like this. And you will step into a relationship with him that you've never had before. It is an amazing, amazing thing. And God has been pursuing you your whole life. He's been pursuing, he's been waiting for this moment. I like to think of it like when my daughter was little and I would be pursuing her, wanting to hold her, and then she would turn around and be like this. And then I would pick her up and I was right there. As soon as you turn around, he's right there. He's right there. So I'm gonna pray a prayer, okay? We're gonna all pray it, all of us are gonna pray it. And then I'll just pray for you guys, okay? So say these words, say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross for my sins. Lord Jesus, today, I believe you are the Son of God, that God raised you from the dead. I repent from my sins, and I accept your forgiveness. Today, I declare that I am saved, that heaven is my home, and God is my Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now let me just pray for you guys. Father, I thank you for these awesome people. Lord, I thank you that today is a brand new day for them. Father, that today you would come into their life. Lord, that this week you would show yourself strong on behalf of them. Lord, that you would make yourself known to them. That they would see that there's a tangible shift in their life because of today because they invited you into their life. So Father, bless these people. Lord, let today be an exciting, memorable day for them. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already, and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.